Hi, everybody. Thank you so much for letting us in your space today. We just want to let you know that we have a lot going on this holiday season. So we encourage you to visit our website at cccgreeley.org and take a look at everything going on on the coming up page, especially Christmas Eve services coming up. We also encourage you to like and subscribe so you can see more of our content coming into your feed when it drops. Also, if you are listening on the podcast, please, we encourage you to subscribe so that you see more of our podcasts coming out. Enjoy the message. Hello, everyone. So glad that you are here. It's so good to be with you. Uh, I just got back recently from a trip to Peru. Uh, It was, I just got to tell you, it was amazing to see how God is using your generosity to impact, I'm telling you, impact hundreds of children and families, um, precious people in some really poverty-stricken areas. And I can just tell you from being there that these two communities, they are being transformed because of your generosity. I was on site, I saw it, I saw the families, the moms, the dads, I mean the children, it's being transformed. And uh, so way to go, man, I love our church, and I'm so excited about the things that God is doing in and through us. A couple pictures here uh, from our trip. It was just such a blessing and such a joy. And so thank you for, for your generosity and all that God is doing. You know, one of the things that I'm most excited about right now is an opportunity we have as a church to all go deeper in our personal relationship with Jesus. This is a huge passion of my heart to help people grow in their experience of Jesus, not just an intellectual, cognitive relationship where we think about God, but one that's deeply personal and real. So a few years ago, during COVID, when it hit, I started to work on developing a practical pathway to help people grow in their relationship, their experience with Jesus. And some of that material became a class that I taught, and I was really encouraged by the impact in people's lives. And, and I began to wonder, how could we broaden the impact of this so that our entire church could grow together in these spiritual practices. And I felt like the Lord put on my heart this idea of further developing this content and then putting it in book form so that our whole church could experience this together. So for the past, I think it's been 18 months, it feels like longer than that, I've been working on on a a book that takes people on a seven-week journey where they not only receive content, but there are also practical exercises to do for each week to help people grow in their connection with Jesus. And I'm super excited to announce that this book is now officially available as of two days ago. Um, So I'll show a copy right here. Uh, It's called The Intimate God, A Practical Guide to Experiencing the God Who Delights in You. So starting January 15th, We as a church are going to be taking a break from the 1 Corinthians series, and we're going to spend seven weeks growing together in some simple and yet core spiritual practices that will help all of us experience Jesus in deeper ways. So our children and our student ministries are going to be focusing on this, and we're inviting all of our small groups to experience this material together. And my goal is at the end of that seven-week journey, all of us will be have 
built into our lives these simple rhythms, these simple practices that can deepen our experience with Jesus. So we're going to be sharing a lot more details in the weeks to come, but the books are actually available um, for purchase in the lobby at a special discounted price for our church, or you can get it on Amazon in print or ebook format. Uh, audio version is going to be available in the next week or so. Now, now, look, you don't have to purchase a book to experience this journey in January. I'll be teaching on these themes, and then we're going to be providing the exercises online. But the book provides an opportunity for a deeper dive into this whole area and a resource that you can have with you and continue to utilize. So I am so excited uh, for us as a church and this new year upcoming and focusing on a deepening experience of intimacy with Jesus. Okay, so that's what's coming up. Uh, we are in the midst of a teaching series where we're walking through the book of 1 Corinthians which is a letter the Apostle Paul wrote to a church in the city of Corinth. And, and we have seen over and over again in this journey how in the church at Corinth, they were struggling in their relationships. There were conflicts over which pastor they liked better and over some theological gray areas like eating meat, sacrificed to idols. And then as we've seen recently in chapter 12, People were arguing about spiritual gifts. There was this relational tension about spiritual gifts. Some people were looking down on other people and who, you know, who didn't have certain gifts and made them feel less spiritual or whatever. And so that the church, this church in Corinth was, it was sort of a relational mess, kind of like our culture today, uh, where there is so much relational conflict and tension happening in families and friendships and in the ch churches and workplaces and everyday life. So what is the answer? Well, well, Paul tells us, right in the middle of this controversy about spiritual gifts, Paul puts to parchment one of the most beautiful, eloquent, and most often quoted paragraphs ever written in history. 1 Corinthians chapter 13. In, in this short chapter, Paul gives us a vivid description of what is the antidote to the relational division and acrimony and antagonism towards others. The antidote is love. Now, at one level, that answer doesn't really surprise anyone. The Beatles were singing about this 50-plus years ago in the midst of all the social upheaval in that time period. All you need is love, right? I mean, at some level, as human beings, we all understand this reality. That love really is <laughs> the antidote to what ails our society today. Love is the antidote to all the relational tension and division and conflict that we see and experience. But, but the critical question is, what does genuine love look like? Beyond some song lyric, what does love, what does real love look like? And how can it possibly impact our relationships? Well, that's the question that Paul answers for us in this passage of scripture. So we're taking these four weeks of Advent and we're exploring together this incredible gift of love as described in 1 Corinthians 13. This, this gift that all of us can give and that will pour life into our relationships. So Pastor Nate did a great job last week exploring the first three verses of this chapter, which introduced this theme. What, what I want us to do today is I want us to begin here by reading out loud the next three verses in this passage, which give us an incredible definition of love. So let's read this out loud together. Love is patient. Love is kind. It does not envy. It does not boast. It is not proud. 
It does not dishonor others. It is not self-seeking. It is not easily angered. It keeps no record of wrongs. Love does not delight in evil, but rejoices with the truth. What a breathtakingly beautiful description of love. But when you begin to really look at what Paul's saying, as we're going to do in just a moment, you realize this description is not only beautiful, it's hard. (laughs) It's difficult. It goes against our natural tendency in our relationships, which is to focus on ourselves. But that's what usually causes the relational problems we experience. Most every relational conflict has the fingerprints of selfishness on it, which is the opposite of love. And that's why these verses are so powerful. If we apply Paul's description of love to our everyday relationships, we're going to see firsthand the incredible impact of that. And so, so in the verse we just read, the verses we just read, Paul gives us two things. He gives us a powerful picture of what genuine love looks like and a picture of what genuine love doesn't look like. And so today, we're going to focus on the positive side, three specific ways we can love the people around us. And the next week, we're going to focus on the enemies of love, the specific things Paul mentions in these verses that will undermine and destroy our relationships. Okay, the first tangible way we can pour love into our relationships is through patience. Paul says here in verse four, love is patient. Isn't it interesting that he starts here? Of all the descriptors of love that Paul could have started this list with, this is the first word he uses to describe love. Love is patient. Now, the word, this word patient is a combination of two words. The first word means long in terms of duration. And the second word means anger or indignation. And in the Greek, they just kind of, those two words were put together. And so when we put those words together, we actually get a really good idea of what this word means. It means the opposite of having a short fuse. It, it means having a long fuse. To, to use a phrase that Paul uses in verse 5, it refers to a person who is not easily angered. They take a long time to get frustrated and angry. Now, when we look at how the same word is used in the rest of the New Testament, it highlights a couple of really, really important things about this. So in, in, in 2 Peter chapter, two, chapter 3, verse 9, this is what we read. The Lord is not slow in keeping his promise, as some understand slowness. Instead, he is patient with you not wanting anyone to perish, but everyone to come to repentance. See, notice God's love for us is reflected in his patience. God is patient with us. So when is he patient with us? Well, God is patient with us when we're not doing what he wants us to be doing. When we persist in behaviors that are harmful, God is still lovingly patient with us. See, this is one of the ways, this is one of the ways his heart of love gets expressed to us through patience, which raises a really important question. Does his patience with us not doing what we, what, what he wants, does that patience translate into us being patient with others who are not doing what we want? 
I mean, let, let's be honest. A lot of times, our lack of patience with someone feels completely justified. They're not doing what we think they should be doing. They're not fitting into our agenda. They're not fitting into our timetable. They're not fitting into our expectations. And we get angry and we get frustrated, completely forgetting God's patience with us. See, this is exactly what Jesus described in a parable that he told in the book of Matthew chapter 18, where a servant owed his master a huge amount of money, like millions of dollars. And when the servant was ordered to pay the debt or be thrown into prison, he pleaded, the servant pleaded with his master, be patient with me. That's the words that Jesus used there, be patient. Same word Paul uses in 1 Corinthians 13. And his master had pity on him. And he canceled the debt completely. So then this servant who had just had this millions of dollars of huge debt canceled, he immediately goes out and he finds someone who owes him 20 bucks and he demands payment. And this other person pleads with him and he uses the exact same phrase, be patient with me and I will pay it back. But he refuses and he throws him in jail for a $20 debt. The master's patience with him had no impact on his patience with others, which is a problem. This is a problem. When we are impatient with people who are not doing what we want them to do, we're sort of putting ourselves in the place of God. We're on the throne. Our agenda, our expectations matter more than anything else, and we treat this person accordingly. But that's not how God treats us. God, our master, is lovingly patient with us even when we're messing up. How patient are we with the people in our lives who aren't doing what we want them to do? This is so convicting to me personally. So in my role here as a pastor, as a pastor I'm in a lot of meetings with ministry teams. And in those meetings, my voice matters and is valued and respected. But every night I go home to a 22-year-old son with special needs who often doesn't value my voice, uh, believe it or not. In fact, he frequently ignores it. Uh, he seems to enjoy doing the opposite of what I want him to do or doing it 10 times slower than I want him to. And that drives me nuts, right? It stirs all this anger in me which stirs anger in him. Pray for my wife, Raylene, uh, uh, who finds herself in the middle of all this. But after one of Joshua and my battles, Raylene, later, she said to me, can you imagine what it's like to live in a body where your mouth can't communicate the things that you're feeling inside? And then you have someone always trying to tell you what to do. How would that feel? You know, I hadn't, I hadn't thought of how Josh was experiencing life and how Josh was experiencing me. I'm, I'm putting all these expectations on him without really understanding the world in which he lives. What, what, what the passage I read a moment ago from 2 Peter implies is that part of the reason God is patient with us is because he understands our story and he sees our potential. That's why he's patient. He understands our story and he sees our potential. He sees what we could be. And because of that, he gives us grace in the journey. Later in 1 Corinthians 13, 
this passage, Paul will say, love always hopes. It hopes. See, that hope is the heart of patience. These three words, love is patient, challenge me. They challenge me in those moments when my anger starts to rise, you know, and, 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 and this, this temptation that I want to step, whatever, I want to exalt myself. It just, it challenges me in those moments to step off my throne of self-focus and demands and to instead see my son through the lens of grace. Now, I'm not talking about permissive parenting where anything goes and there's no, there are no consequences, but, but I am talking about a parenting that's not fueled by anger, but by grace, which, which gives room for thoughtful, intentional strategies rather than angry reactions. So let me just ask, are there relationships in your life in which you are not demonstrating patience and you feel totally justified in that response? See, I would challenge you, I would invite you to take a step back and to remember God's patience with you. How might his grace toward you enable you to step off the throne of your demands and instead begin seeing this person through that same lens of grace? Love is patient. In other words, if we're not demonstrating patience, we're not demonstrating love. The second way to pour love into our relationships is through kindness. Paul writes, love is patient, love is kind. So in a world where everyone seems to be so ticked off, uh, everyone seems to be so angry at each other, angry at the restaurant employee who didn't get our order exactly right, angry at other drivers who aren't driving the way we think they should, angry at our child's coach who isn't playing our child as much as we think he should, angry at our school, angry at our elected officials, angry at certain social media posts. I mean, in a world like that, how desperately we need this virtue. Kindness is one of the most powerful ways to de-escalate an angry situation. And we know this is true. You ever been in a situation, an argument with someone, um, and both of you are powering up and kind of, you can tell just the intensity's growing. You're both powering up and elevating your voices. And all of a sudden, one of you says, I'm sorry, I'm getting defensive and I'm not really listening to you. The relational atmosphere completely shifts. I remember years ago memorizing this verse from Proverbs 15, verse 1. A gentle answer turns away wrath, but a harsh word stirs up anger. See, in every conversation, we have a choice harshness or kindness. And in our society, often, Kind, this is important because in our society, kindness in the midst of relational tension or an argument, kindness is often viewed as wimpiness. It's often viewed as weakness, but it's not. It's not. It is, incredible. it is an incredible strength. It can change the trajectory of a relational dynamic that is heading south in a hurry. It can change it like that. Anger is easy. Anger is easy. Kindness is hard. Anger throws gasoline on a fire. 
kindness shifts the atmosphere completely. And this is where kindness is most strategic. It's in those places. It's in those conversations. It's in those relationships where everything within us wants to win the argument. Everything within us wants to make our point, right? Everything within us wants to put this other person in their place. And in that moment, we can easily just continue down that path like a train leaving the station. But every second spent on that path leads us away from love. If we as Christ followers chose to be kind to our waitress, kind to our flight attendant, kind to our spouse, kind to our children, to our children's teacher, kind to those on social media that we disagree with, our world would be a much better place and Jesus would be honored. He tells us this. Jesus tells us this. Look at Luke 6, Luke 6, verse 35. This is what Jesus says. But love your enemies. Do good to them and lend to them without expecting to get anything back. Then your reward will be great. And you will be children of the Most High, look at this, because he is kind to the ungrateful and wicked. Notice what Jesus is saying. When we are kind to our enemies, to those who mistreat us, we are actually modeling the heart of God for people because he is kind. He is kind to us when we are ungrateful. When we are selfish, we experience the kindness of God all the time when we don't deserve it. So let me just ask this. Are there there relationships in your life where people, certain people, don't deserve your kindness? And what if you chose to give it to them anyway? See, that, that, that seems to be what Jesus is commanding us to do. I mean, what, what a simple and yet powerful way to honor God and to pour love into any relationship. Choose to be kind, even if they are not being kind to you. That's what love looks like, according to Jesus. That's what love looks like. Love is patient. Love is kind. The third way to pour love into our relationships is by rejoicing in the truth. Look with me at verse six. Love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. Now, this is the third positive descriptor of love that Paul gives us in these verses. Love is patient, love is kind, and then this one. Love rejoices with the truth. Now, some Christians, we, we, we hear this verse and we immediately think, yeah, This means that I got to be speaking the truth in all my relationships. I'm going to tell people what they're doing wrong, and I'm going to point them to the Bible and just be a truth teller. Now, look, there are times when speaking the truth is important. But look, there are also times when speaking the truth does a ton of unnecessary relational damage when it is actually not loving. And in light of that, I want us to look again at what Paul actually says here. We, we want to be people of the word. So let's look at what he actually says. He doesn't say love speaks the truth. It's not what he says here. What he says is love does not delight in evil, but it rejoices with the truth. See, notice what he's talking about here. 
He's not talking about words. He's talking about, he's not talking about saying anything. He's talking about something way more foundational. He's talking about our heart. That's what this language of delight and rejoicing reveals. To delight in something or to rejoice in something. That is a heart issue. That happens in the heart. So here's the question. In our relationships, in our relational interactions, what is our heart delighting in? What is our heart meditating on and thinking about as it relates to truth? And that's a really important question that I don't think we give near enough attention to in our relationships. So here's what frequently happens in a relationship. So someone does something or they say something that frustrates us or that hurts us. Maybe they say something in a conversation that's hurtful or maybe they don't respond to a text or whatever. We get frustrated or whatever. And when that happens... There's something that all of us instinctively do. We do it subconsciously. We're not even aware of it a lot of times. But all of us do it. It's the way our brains were created. We're always looking for a story. And this is what we do. We tell ourselves a story about what they did and why they did that. She didn't respond to my text. I knew she didn't like me. She is intentionally ignoring me. Or uh, his, comment, his comment in that meeting, you know, it, shows, it, it showed that he, he really doesn't trust me. He is such a control freak. I can't believe he said that. There are stories. These are stories that we're telling ourselves. But is that story true? In, in the excellent book, Crucial Conversations, the authors, just, they describe a scenario where a wife finds a charge on a credit card bill, the visa bill, charged from a hotel, and she immediately assumes her husband is having an affair. She is devastated. She's angry. She confronts him when he gets home, only to find out that the charges were from a restaurant they ate at that was actually connected to the hotel. How much damage is done when we allow these narratives to play, to these narratives about this other person to keep playing in our minds without trying to find out if they're actually true? Maybe the person didn't respond to our text because their phone was dead or because they wanted to take the time to actually give a thoughtful response rather than a quick emoji and then they forgot about it because all these other texts came in. I mean, maybe there was no ill will at all. So rather than stewing in the story we're telling ourselves as we're interpreting the data, what if we actually had a conversation with that person to find out what was actually true? What we'll often discover is that our story, our assumptions, our judgments that we've made about this person based on what we observed Those things are not accurate. So rather than delighting in something that is not true, we can instead rejoice in what is true. We can embrace the truth and our relationship will benefit. What stories are we telling ourselves about other people in our lives? What narratives are we creating from the data that we observe and we're convinced that we're right? But what if those narratives aren't right? (laughs) What if they aren't accurate? 
I'm telling you, lots of relational damage will be done. Unnecessary relational damage will be done. I've been watching this Netflix series recently. It is so frustrating how so many of the relational conflicts in this show, they happen because a person is, something happens, and then a person is telling themselves a story about why this other person did what they did. They didn't respond to my text the whole weekend, so they must want to break up with me or whatever, when that wasn't the case at all. And it's, it's, I'm shouting at the television most of the time, right? Uh, they, but they, they believe their own story, and the impact is huge. But it didn't have to be. One conversation could have solved the whole situation, but then it would be a really boring TV show, probably, okay? Paul is urging us to embrace truth in our relationships rather than to believe lies and believe our own assumptions and to make judgments about other people. This is what love looks like. It assumes the best, not the worst. It pursues conversations and dialogue where our assumptions can be explored with this other person and truth can be embraced. So do, do you want to pour love into your relationships? You want to pour love into your relationships? Do, do, do you want to change the trajectory of a relationship that is increasingly distant and disconnected Look, here's how, rather than waiting for other people to start loving us better, what if we ask Jesus to help us love the way Paul describes here? What if we decided to pursue and practice patience when people didn't meet our expectations? What if we decided to be kind to people who are not kind to us? What if we decided to explore the narratives we're telling ourselves about other people rather than assuming our story is true? See, I think we all realize what would happen. Love would be poured into our relationships. The trajectory of certain difficult relationships would begin to shift in a really good way. The atmosphere of our workplace or our family, or our marriage, our sports team would begin to shift in a really good way. See, that's the power of love. And it's found in the love of Jesus for us. This isn't about, oh, I gotta try harder. No, this is, it's found, we have a source for this. It's found in the love of Jesus for us, who is patient with us, who is kind to us, and who rejoices with the truth about us, not the lies that we tell ourselves. So how about we be different than our society? <laughs> Let's strategically seize this cultural moment of relational tension and be people of love, people who are patient, who are kind, and who rejoice in the truth. Amen. Why don't, let's, let's respond by, if you're able to stand, why don't we stand up? And we're going to take a moment and open our hearts to the Holy Spirit and whatever he is saying or what he wants to do in us. So I'm going to pray a simple prayer. It's an ancient prayer the church has prayed for centuries. It's come Holy Spirit, and all we're doing in this, we're opening our hearts to say, Holy Spirit, is there anything you want to say to me? In response to your word or about something else, anything you want to say to me? And then we're just going to wait for a few moments.
encourage you, if you're comfortable, open your, you can have your hands open in front of you, palms up, just as a posture of receptivity. So Holy Spirit, come. Holy Spirit, we welcome you into these relationships or patience or kindness or rejoicing in the truth where that's needed in a specific way. And we ask for your help to be people, to be Jesus followers, to actually live the way you call us to live, not the way the world says we're supposed to live, but to love the way you call us to love. So we're praying for the grace and the strength and the help to do that. I, as I was praying for the service this afternoon, I had, a, I had a, just a sort of an image in my mind of, and it may be beyond just this relational thing, but of, of people coming to God like with a thimble yeah, I have a need, it's about that much, uh, of your help, um, versus people coming with the largest bucket they can find. And they're like, man, I need help. We may think the person's like, I need help is in way worse shape than the person. Yeah, I'm doing pretty well, but I just need a thimble. But in God's economy, it doesn't work that way. In the kingdom of God, the person with a bucket is the one that God is saying, Buckle up, because I'm pouring out. I'm pouring out love. I'm pouring out what you need. And so I, I just, I have this sense, this question maybe for us of, am I bringing to God a thimble or am I bringing to him a bucket? So God, we want to bring to you buckets. What are we saying? We need you. I know relationships where I need you in a big way. And so we come to you with a bucket saying, fill us, Jesus, with your love so that we can love those around us in a way that honors you and pours life into those relationships. So we welcome you, Holy Spirit, to come. So we're gonna continue to worship, I encourage you as you worship, have that image in mind your heart open to whatever the Lord would pour into you. And if at some point you feel like, man, I would love to have someone pray alongside of me just for a bucket full of whatever I need, um, or, or, or just to, if you feel like God is doing something in you and you want someone to partner with you, just come up front here. You can come up to the side. It's, 
We have a prayer team available. I'll be available. We'd love to just come alongside and pray over you, bless what God's doing, and we'll just listen to God on your behalf. If there's a prophetic word that we feel like God may be laying on our heart, we'll share that with you. Um, so this is just ministry time. It's time to minister to the Lord. It's time to open our hearts to all that he has for us. So Holy Spirit, continue to come and pour out, pour into our relationships, your love into our hearts so that it would overflow into all of our relationships, God. Come, Holy Spirit. Thank you. Hey friends, wherever you are at coming out of this message, we want you to know you are not alone and we would love to journey with you. You can head over to our website, cccgreeley.org and we have a chat button on there. There's always somebody there that would love to pray for you, um, love to talk with you. And so if you wanna do that, you can. You can also leave a comment um, on our YouTube channel, just kind of letting us know maybe how this week affected you um, or encouraged you. So we hope you have a great week and we will see you next time. Bye.